$1.25 billion. This would be the fourth largest jackpot in Mega Millions history. The next drawing is Friday. I'm Nick Smith, and today for Nicole Burley, that's all for News Nation Now. But here's a look at our primetime lineup. But first, The Hill starts right now. This time tomorrow, that building right there will be the center of the political world and the national narrative. You're looking at the courthouse here in Washington, D.C., where Donald Trump will appear yet again before a federal judge. The 45th president of the United States charged with four criminal counts for his efforts to allegedly overturn the 2022 election. And today there is brand new reaction from those running against him in the wake of the latest charges. Plus, President Biden getting some R&R the last few days, back on his bike. You can see there in Delaware earlier today. But back at the office, the White House is fuming, pointing fingers at one of the major credit rating agencies. And are you ready for it? Why the California lieutenant governor is calling on Taylor Swift to stop performing in her state, even though she attended a recent concert for the Eras Tour. The Hill, right here on News Nation, starts right now. Thanks for being us, uh, with us once again here on News Nation. Joining us on the Hill, I'm Blake Berman. Alongside tonight, Scott Bolden, former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and legal analyst. Bill McGinley is the former Trump White House cabinet secretary and principal at the Vogel Group. Francesca Chambers is the White House correspondent for USA Today. And David Drucker, senior writer at the Dispatch. Hello, all. The calendar says it is August. I don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Because they say it it becomes August in D.C. and, like, nothing happens. That's not the case anymore. (laughs) It's not our fault. It's it's not our fault, right? I mean, in 2023. Did you guys leave yesterday after sitting here in these chairs? I mean, you're you're back (laughs) at it. I mean, what I wanted to say, I had more to say. You did have more <laughs> on the to legal say. Front. Well, we're going to give you another hour here to talk about it, Francesca. David, a lot going on. It was a on. long indictment. Yeah. Uh, let's, of course, start with Donald Trump. Wasting no time, as you would expect, calling the latest indictment against him, quote, unprecedented. And his campaign claiming, in its words, the Biden crime family and Department of Justice interfered with the 2024 election. But we start tonight with the incoming reaction to the indictment from the Republican candidates hoping to unseat Trump in the Republican primary. Watch. The reality is uh, a Republican, a D.C. jury would indict a ham sandwich and convict a ham sandwich if it was a Republican ham sandwich. Anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. All right. You saw Ron DeSantis there. You saw Mike Pence there. Clearly, David, two different figures because Mike Pence was a central figure on January 6th and the events leading up to it. Ron DeSantis uh, is the leading challenger to Donald Trump. Take your crack. Who you want to start with in their reaction there? Well, uh, let's start with Mike Pence. Okay. All right. Mike Pence trails in polls. He's not yet qualified for the debate with uh, fundraising thresholds. He has with polling. Um, I think his campaign thinks it's going to get there. They're pretty confident. That's what they say. But I think what you see with Mike Pence as a candidate uh, that is owning his story and at least doing one thing. You know, if you're running against somebody for president of the United States and they get indicted 
on allegations of criminal activity, the thing you might want to do is hit him over the head with it. <laughs> right. I, I can tell you who would hit any of his competitors over the head with a federal indictment if it happened to them and not him, and that's right. Donald Trump. Because he understands that the way you win a primary, the way you win an election, is to take every potential flaw, even make a few up, but definitely take the ones that are real, and you hit your opponent over the head. And I think one of the, the challenges Ron DeSantis is having now to move over to the Florida governor is that he can't seem to decide what he's going to criticize the former president for and what he's not. I understand that a lot of Republican primary voters are very upset with the indictments. They think Trump is being uh, unfairly targeted and persecuted by the legal system. But if Trump is telling you that these indictments are all a fraud and it's not fair, there's no way you're going to overcome him in a race for the nomination if you're like, you're right, that poor guy over there is just getting <laughs> nailed. Why should they vote for you if that's what you're going to you know, do? I was going to pick up exactly on that point. So that was actually one of the sharper criticisms that we've heard from Mike Pence over that uh, specific issue. And we've heard him a couple times uh, criticize Donald Trump as far as uh, January 6th goes. But for him to say that you shouldn't be president of the United States, if that's the case, that went a little bit further than he had in the past. But even at that point, he didn't say Donald Trump should not be president of the United States. That's not exactly what. No, 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 no. He, I mean, he didn't. No, 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 he did not. He did not say that even in that case. And if you are running for president of the United States in this GOP primary, you have to start explaining at a certain point why it should be you instead of the other guy. If you think that this is unfair to him, if you think that he was a good president, if you agree with him on a lot of the issues, then, then, what, don't is run. The, then what is the argument that you are making to Republican primary right, well, voters as to why you should What would the two attorneys say? Because I think the two attorneys might have an opinion in this one. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, look, I appreciate the commentary, but the laws of political gravity have been suspended in this race in the Republican primary. Mm -hmm. um, Donald Trump is a real force in the party now. He controls a lot of the apparatus, a lot of the base, as we saw in the New York Times poll, regard, across demographics, regardless of whether he continues to get indicted, has said they're going to stick with him. Right. I mean, upwards of 71%. The issue for the other candidates is that Trump is now over 50% nationally. And in a lot of the states that count, he's still over 50%. So their whole strategy has to be, how do I get 50% plus one delegates uh, for next August, well, in order to get the nomination, yeah, right. they're not going to get it. Yeah, yeah but to quick. get that and to do what David said to do, hit him over the head with it, you have to be fearless. You can't be afraid. And every GOP presidential candidate is afraid of losing the MAGA support if Trump gets indicted or he gets out of the race. you got to go through Donald Trump, as you say. You can't go around him. And they are afraid of attacking let, him. Let me tell you the problem with this. It's not that I'm saying, oh, this will work. Why don't they just do the obvious? It's so obviously going to work. I don't know if it's going to work, but one of the reasons Trump connects with his voting base and with Republican voters so much is because he's a fighter. They right, see correct. in him the ultimate fighter. And even though they might say, wow, it's so nice of Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy or name your Republican candidate to stick up for Trump as the Biden DOJ is, you know, and all the rhetoric, it's so nice of them. What it communicates to them is they're not as much of a fighter as Trump. Correct. And therefore, they're not going to gain any traction. You might as well go down swinging because you have a better chance of the unusual happening than the way they're doing it. All right. Well, the special counsel's indictment has been met with skepticism in conservative media. For example, take the National Review. That magazine, as you might know, was founded by William F. Buckley and has not been shy at all 
about criticizing former President Trump. For example, here was their issue devoted to why Donald Trump should not be the Republican Party's nominee. This was prior to the Iowa caucuses in 2016. Big cover story there as you see it. But this was their editorial after the latest indictment dropped yesterday. Quote, in effect, Jack Smith is endeavoring to criminalize protected political speech and flimsy legal theories when the Supreme Court has repeatedly admonished prosecutors to refrain from, conserv- from creative theories to stretch penal laws to reach misconduct that Congress has not made illegal. With us now to discuss is the National Review's editor-in-chief, Rich Lowry. He is also the author of The Case for Nationalism. Rich, thanks for being here on the Hill. Hey, uh, we appreciate me. the time. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, read some of the, the case there. Break it down for us in English. Uh, what, what's, what's the argument that you're making as to why you yeah, think Jack well, Smith there's, overstretches there's balance? No, yeah, there's no doubt the underlying conduct here is infamous. It's damnable. It's impeachable. Uh, there's a reason he was impeached for this, but the indictment from where we sit seems to be just an effort to redo the impeachment since it, it failed, or at least he wasn't convicted in the Senate and stretch the criminal law for that political purpose. And that's just wrong. You know, what you, what you want from your criminal justice system is clear lines where someone knows they're committing a crime. There's no doubt about it. There's no ambiguity about it. You don't have to be creative. Um, stretching the laws to to reach criminal conduct. You want someone to know they're doing something illegal. Uh, we don't think this meets this test. So, yes, this conduct's terrible. Just reading it again in the black and white, it doesn't get any better. It's never going to get any better. It's going to be a black spot on our history for a very long time. But you, you we think, think, you think Donald Trump did, did nothing illegal from Election Day up until January 6th? I don't think so. I think he did terrible things. Uh, I think he did uh, committed grave abuses of power that were impeachable, but I don't think he committed crimes. Mark Short uh, was the chief of staff to Mike Pence at the time, was named by title in the indictment yesterday. I spoke to him afterwards, uh, Rich, and he sort of made the case that there was a, a, a pressure campaign from Christmas when President Trump picked up the phone and called Mike Pence and said, Merry Christmas. And oh, by the way, we got to work on this thing. (laughs) Um, And and January 6th, that two week stretch. I want you to listen to what Mark Short told me and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Well, I think that the pressure campaign really ratcheted up between Christmas and January 6th, to be honest, because um, I think for many of us, we assume that you run the legal course. And when the Electoral College meets and makes a decision on December 14th, that's the end of the chapter. Uh, so I think that it, it, it kind of it reached that point and it was kind of quiet. And then somewhere around Christmas, the pressure campaign picked up because I think some nefarious voices told the president that the vice president can can be his saving grace here in ways that, that I just think were misleading. You take no issue with the way that Donald Trump tried to pressure the vice president of the United States to overturn the election. Oh, I take major issue with it. I mean, it was it was the worst part of this scheme. It was the the one one pressure point that had potential to work if just one man buckled. Fortunately, he didn't. Mike Pence did the the right thing, and I think we'll be honored for that throughout American history. So th- this is this is the the key point. Just because you're saying something's not illegal or shouldn't be indicted because it's ambiguous doesn't mean you think the underlying conduct is good. I mean, we we from day one in real time were condemning. 
all, all of this. Right. And regarding you know the, the the punditry about the two statements we heard from Pence and DeSantis, I hail what Mike Pence said there. He's he's right. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily going to work for him, unfortunately, in the primary because there's about 25 percent of the Republican Party who wants to hear that message or is open to it. But he's absolutely correct. So, Rich, real, real quick before we let you go, then uh, the Mar-a-Lago documents case. Um, Donald Trump guilty there in your eyes? Yeah, I think he's totally nailed on that. I don't think there's any legal defense on that. I think what he'll do is an attempted political defense, one delaying the case and then hoping something comes up. Either he gets elected president again or there's a Republican who will pardon him for those offenses or failing all of that, that there's a Republican or two on that jury who just won't convict no matter what. Right. All right. Rich Lowry, great to talk to you. Uh, so Editor-in-Chief of the National Review. Yeah, come on back here on the Hill. We appreciate the time. Thank you. All right. Well, let's turn now uh, back to the panel. The uh, case from Jack Smith. Uh, to you two first. I, I'm sure you, you two totally agree on this. So why don't we all sing Kumbaya and, and get... No. no. You, you were, I was over here and you're back and forth in the green room here. Uh, where, do, where do both of you stand? Well, if I may, real quick on this, uh, on your last guess... Impeachable offenses are high crimes and misdemeanors. So it's kind of hard to be an impeached president and then not believe that there's some criminal prosecution that could follow here. Therefore, there are four felonies. Well, um, I think he was making the case that if, you know, that there's impeachment and that's sort of Congress's job. And once Congress yeah. can't impeach someone, which Donald Trump wasn't convicted in the Senate, they take a, he takes issue with the fact that then Jack Smith came in to, to clean up. I think well, it's, McConnell it's his on the floor doing the impeachment said, you know, let DOJ look at this and let them criminally prosecute him on the indictment itself or the four, four felony. Let me just say this, this this argument that somehow we're criminalizing the First Amendment and free speech. I could stand on this building and yell and scream that I won the election, even if I knew I didn't, over and over again. And you know what? No one gets indicted and no one gets prosecuted. But if I engage in a conspiracy of obstruction and I try to undermine the state elections and I try to undermine the certification of those votes and I try to deprive people of, a, of, their, of their voting rights and undermine the power of one man, one vote, yeah. And you don't have to have knowledge that you're committing a crime. You know, ignorance is no defense in the law. And whether Donald Trump believed that or not, the bottom line is this case is about the conspiracy, the agreements to commit bad acts that violated the law. And a jury will figure that out for us. I'm, of course, going to take a different tack. <laughs> wow. Um, but... The one thing I will say is, number one, I don't think this is going to be a speedy trial. I think there's a lot of evidence for the defense attorneys to go through. This is not going to happen early next year. Um, I do think that there's going to be a lot of motions to exclude evidence. I think that there are significant First Amendment issues here. And I do think that those First Amendment issues will probably reach the Supreme Court. And I think some of those issues are going to have far-reaching impacts on future conduct and government authority about what they can regulate and what they can't regulate. I also think intent is going to be the real issue whether somebody is going to be convicted or not. I think the D.C. jury uh -huh. is going to go against Trump, but I think the appeal is going to be on intent. You know, everybody points to the statement saying you've lost the election and, you know, why don't you tell the, you're telling the truth too much. 
remember, six attorneys are, are listed as co-conspirators, right. which means he was getting a different side uh, than what Jack yeah, Smith was client, But the attorney-client privilege piece has been decided at least by one federal judge but already. But I, I, I don't, I don't but think you're understanding my point. I'm not saying that attorney-client privilege is going to prevent the evidence. I think the evidence comes in that they were giving him advice that was contrary to what Jack Smith was All right, well, yeah. so the reaction now on the other side of the aisle, Glenn Ivey is the Democratic congressman from Maryland and joins us now back here on the Hill uh, on News Nation, a, a frequent visitor now, Congressman. <laughs> uh, thank you for thank you for being back <laughs> with us here. Um, so the indictment thank yesterday, uh, we were all waiting for this, right? Everybody thought it was coming. Donald Trump, his team, Republicans, Democrats, journalists and the like. And then we got it. And it was four counts, right. Congressman, and nothing to do with what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, you disappointed? No, I thought it was a, a smart strategic move by the prosecutor. Um, you know, he didn't, I don't think he felt like he needed to get into all of that because it's, you know, causation of, you know, whether Trump's comments caused all the activity that they, they committed. I think it did, but in order to actually get the conviction for the underlying conduct that I think is more serious, which is the false slates of electors, uh, moving forward, knowing that he'd lost the election, but pretending that he hadn't and using that false information when he was calling and pressuring officials, including the vice president. I think that's a stronger case to make. And I think it helps to avoid the First Amendment issues that uh, I think are going to arise. Uh, and I think, he, you know, you get the same kind of result from a conviction with those with those charges. You know, th th this case is about actions from Donald Trump when he was president of the United States, the actions of the 45th president. We have yet to hear from the 46th president. President Biden's on vacation right now. He's about as far away from cameras as you can get, on the beach, riding his bike, going to movies. Since this is about actions that took place in and around the White House, don't we need to hear from President Biden, Congressman, at this point in time? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think the, the focus of the case is what happened before Mr. Biden became president, uh, at, at least formally. Uh, and I think that the witnesses being all Republican, I think, strengthens the hand of the prosecutor and, and protects him to some extent from, you know, the counter arguments that this is all political. These are all Trump confidants, Trump appointees, Trump friends um, that are making the case against him. So I think it, it's going to be hard for him to refute those uh, that testimony on those grounds. You know, add it all up, Congressman. Do you think you win the House now as a result of all this in 2024, Democrats? Yeah, well, you know, I think we've been heading this direction for a long time, not so much just based on the charges against the president, but because, I, in my view, the mishandling by the House Republicans of, of their, their caucus and, and the body. But but look, you know, the presidential campaign, I think, is going to be but what about an extra what about an extra boost? Right. You say this has been public. You say this has been heading in this direction for quite some time now. You think it gives you an extra boost? To the extent the Republicans keep, you know, lining up behind President Trump and ignoring the facts in the indictment and, you know, saying this is Nazi conduct or, you know, whatever. Uh, I think that undermines their efforts to get elected, not just in the White House, but across the board. This might be the opening for Democrats to maintain control of the Senate, frankly. But not but it, maintain control of the Senate. But what about where you sit in the House? 
I think we're going to win the House anyway. I think that's, um, you know, once they did the default, uh, I think that was a big step in, in the direction of us regaining the House. If they shut down the government, I think it's over at that point. I think we'll win. We've got the right message. You're talking about the, the government, potential the government right shutdown Biden's coming up here a in a couple months. Yeah, and, and I, I'm, I'm almost positive they're going to do that, and as crazy as it is. The, the, the downgrading of, of our, uh, you know, uh, AAA rating, I think, ought to make them uh, reconsider that, but that seems to be the direction they're heading in. We're going to talk about that coming up. Uh, Congressman Glenn Ivey, just down the road from us, State of Maryland. Uh, thank you, sir. Appreciate your time, as always. Thank you. Yep. All right. Back to the panel now. Um, the congressman there, David and Francesca, said not only does, do they win the Senate, keep control, but he thinks that they're going to take control of the House. I mean, I think that's, you know. Well, you have to say that, because if you don't, then uh, everybody, everybody's going to wonder why you're not optimistic about it. Well, he could, he could, he could be like, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk, whatever. Well, look, and he could punt and Bidenomics and this and that and yada, yada, let's, yada. Let's but. look at this a couple of different ways. First of all, it's a four-seat majority. It's very thin, all right? right? So if President Biden is reelected, there's a very good chance Democrats win the House because he's, he's going to take... Uh, some of these districts with him. And there are some House Republicans in some Biden districts. Uh, I think especially if Trump is the nominee, if you're looking at a very polarizing election yeah. in that way, uh, that will go with him. Um, on the other hand, you know, one thing President Trump has proven his ability to do, even when he can't win elections himself, is juice Republican turnout, right? I mean, he, he got a lot of votes in 2020. It just wasn't enough to win. Right. But those votes actually won Republicans 14 House seats, right? So that they only needed to win, you know, another dozen or so to win the House in 2022. So um, I, I don't really think, I think it's way too early to know how any of this is going to impact congressional races. But you got to feel good if you're Democrats when Republicans have trouble getting along amongst themselves in the House. But on the broader point, though, yeah. about the Senate, it's actually a pretty difficult map for Democrats this cycle based on how many are up for a re-election. And so many of the battleground states yeah. are on the Senate map this time. Yeah. And so a lot of this will play out. You can expect whoever wins the presidency will probably sweep a lot of these states and bring a lot of Democrats or Republicans along with them. I'm moving this conversation forward because I promised the producers I would save time to talk about Taylor Swift coming up. <laughs> I saw what you did, by the way, at the yeah. beginning. Are you ready for yeah. it? Yeah. I got it. She I got, got it. She got it. She got it. She got it. All right. No, you can't go to the concert. You no, I, I, don't got, I don't got the coin to go to the concert. <laughs> uh, coming up, though, uh, a beach vacation as President Biden spends time in Delaware. His predecessor gets indicted. The president there on the bike all smiles. But the White House in all of this, they're not talking about Donald Trump. Today, they are talking about something much, much different, and they are none too pleased about it. And we'll talk about it coming up. It has everything to do with Donald Trump. And well, they're, bl they're, explain, blaming explain, explain. they're blaming it on their predecessor, saying yeah. that actually the things that Fitch is concerned about were things that took place under the previous administration, that they've gotten things back on track here when you look at the unemployment levels, uh, when you look at growth. That's what, the, that's what their argument is. In, <laughs> two, that two, is <laughs> two shot on the bill. Coleman, we get a two see, shot on the bill. But this is what their, their, their argument is. Yeah. And more or less that this is just 
just fallen out their feet, fallen out their doorstep. And one thing that, that Fitch did point to was to say that there is a divided government in Washington right now, that if you look at the brinksmanship that happened over the last debt ceiling debate, regardless of whose fault that you feel that that was, you're staring down the potential government shutdown in the future and that there is just a situation right now where things are very unstable in Washington. Go. I was going to say something, but go. Joe Manchin Manchin was right. Remember when he was preventing the Inflation Reduction Act and saying we can't spend all this money. It's going to result in inflation. It's going to hurt the currency. And we just can't do this anymore. We're $33 trillion in debt. This is a bridge too far. And he resisted, resisted, resisted until he got something for West Virginia and then decided he was going to back it. This is Bidenomics. This is, if you look at the two and a half years that Joe Biden's been in office, this is his his issue. So you mentioned Bidenomics. Yes. The president, the White House, the campaign are wrapping their arms around Bidenomics. Nobody, none of us five, nobody in the White House, nobody outside of the White House, nobody knows what's going to happen with the economy going forward, right? But they've clearly made this calculation that the economy is what we're going to run on. The problem is, if things go bad, you're running on the thing that goes bad. Not saying it will, not saying it won't, we don't know. There's an example. John McCain, 2018, uh, 2008, play it, and then uh, we'll talk about it on the other side. You know that there's been tremendous turmoil in our financial markets and Wall Street. And it is, it's, um, people are frightened by these events. Our economy, I think, still, the fundamentals are, of our economy are strong. The fundamentals of our economy are strong, and hours later, Lehman Brothers collapsed, right? With the economy, it's you never know what's going down the road. And is that the issue about wrapping your arms around Bidenomics? Because he just brought it up. Well, listen, I mean, Biden or Trump or name your president could have a pristine economy, and the opposition's always going to poke a hole in it because that's right. what you do. I think when you have low unemployment, when you have decent, if not pretty good GDP growth, and you have a, a stock market that's that's stable, has its good days and bad days, but basically it's been doing very well, you better run on that economy because you better run on the economy anyway, explaining to people why it's good, and if it's not good for you yet, I'm going to make it good for you because that's what people want to hear. The mistake John McCain made, by the way, and he was trying to, to be a statesman and say that, listen, Ultimately, everything's going to be okay because things he knows, were imploding at that time. He, it's a much different scenario he knows now. There's an international yeah. audience, but but the American public, right, left, and center, already felt like the economy was in bad shape. And you cannot tell people when they feel and know there's a problem that there's no problem. So I think that's you know that's the line that Biden has to walk. But he's going to have to run on the economy. So if he's not going to down talk his own economy, then he might as well up talk it and up talking it's but better when you're the quick. incumbent. But don't forget, we're at two or three percent unemployment to go along with all those other positive yeah, three economic figures. And so the the problem is there's this gap probably in messaging or how people feel. You can use all the statistics in the world, but if they're not feeling it, and I think what the administration is betting on is we're going to get to this third or fourth quarter, right? All the numbers are looking up and positive, and by the time we get to the third or fourth quarter in 2023, they're going to start to feel the infrastructure bill. They're going to start to feel that the inflation betting numbers on. are going down. They're betting on betting that. On it, yeah. But listen, you got to bet on yourself yeah. because you're but the leader. David says. It's yeah. the number one issue that voters care about time and time in again. every poll. Yep. All right. You well, know, re-election. Yeah. Coming up, Taylor Swift. Her heiress tour. Pumping money into the economy, left and right, no matter where you go in, the, in this country. She has a concert. The thing sells out. Money pours in. Everybody's happy. But in California, 
That ain't the case. And guess who went to the concert and now says you shouldn't have the concert? We'll talk about it coming up. Is she in the studio? She's not, but that would be pretty cool. All right, so Taylor Swift's Eras Tour is one of the concerts of the summer, as you probably know. She's kicking off the last leg of her uh, U.S. tour tomorrow, SoFi Stadium, Inglewood, California. In the anticipation for the upcoming concerts, hundreds, thousands, very dedicated Swifties lining up to snag some merch. Check out this video here from our Nextstar affiliate, KTLA, out in uh, California. The line drags on and on and on and on, as you can see. There are fans everywhere, including, at one point, uh, the (laughs) lieutenant governor. Eleni Kunalakis. She is running for governor in 2026. There she is. Instagram post all smiles at a concert that she recently went to. Uh, that was at the concert in Santa Clara. Here's the issue. She's also one of many California state politicians calling for Swift to postpone her upcoming shows in Los Angeles. Why? Because there's ongoing hotel worker strikes. A letter was sent by several Democratic politicians to Swift acknowledging how her concerts are helping the region's hotels, of course, but they also say workers are still being hung out to dry, and so they don't want her to perform while there's this ongoing hotel strike. Let's bring in News Nation contributor Johanna Masca joining us from News Nation, you can see there, Los Angeles. So, Johanna, uh, you got the lieutenant governor enjoying herself taylor swift concert don't blame her for going and then she says you got to postpone hypocrisy well i uh, first i just have to apologize to all of you guys because i know you wanted taylor swift and you have me (laughs) no (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) but uh yes i am sitting here uh the day ahead of this you know swift mania here in los angeles and of course we all see the lieutenant governor call on taylor swift to reconsider her tour. And the likelihood of that is next to nil, right? Because we've got six days of a sold-out tour. Tickets are now going $700. But in doing that, she actually raised an issue of Unite Here has been on strike for way longer than they expected. They expected when they went on strike July 1st, that it would be a few days. And now it's August 2nd, and we don't have any resolution. And these hotel workers, they're the people who clean the rooms. They're the housekeepers, and they are but, you know, Johanna, asking it's, for $5 it's, it, more an hour. It's, it, I don't think it's about raising the issue, right? She's the lieutenant governor. She can raise whatever issue she wants. I, I think it goes back to well, it's not sort of the days of, uh, I think, but I think it goes back to the days of, of Gavin Newsom during COVID going to French Laundry and Nancy Pelosi getting her hair cut, right, while telling everybody else, so, you, you can't do one thing, but me, I'm a high-profile yeah. politician, whatever side of the aisle you are on, uh, and I can do something else. I talked to her office earlier today, Blake, and look, she's a Taylor Swift fan, but uh, they aren't on strike in Santa Clarita. That's a different situation. She went to a concert where there isn't a hotel strike. Uh, There is a massive hotel strike in Los Angeles such that Gavin Newsom forced uh, the California Democrats to move their convention to a different hotel so that he didn't have to cross a picket line. So, you know, there it is a little different than than the concert that she went to. And I think, you know, in the vein that she is a Taylor Swift fan, I hope that this leads Taylor Swift to do something for the workers to acknowledge their plight, because we've seen Los Angeles you know, you've got 
these workers are living in their car so that they can clean your hotel and then driving two hours on a weekend to get to their house. We've got to do better for affordable housing and for options, but they are asking for a, Bill, a this, raise, Bill, it, and they're not getting the coverage on that raise. Johanna, stand by. Is this... Is this rules for thee, but not for me? You just took my line. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel, I'm having flashbacks to Gavin Newsom with lobbyists unmasked in the in yeah. French laundry. Um, but this is part of the, 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 the hypocrisy here. Um, I think on some of these really draconian policies or requests that people make to make sure that they comply with the picket line. If they're telling the families of California, don't go and enjoy yourself at a Taylor Swift to honor this, this union demand, which they support. But at the end of the day, when she shows on Instagram her standing there in the stadium, smiling during the concert, um, what are these moms and dads going to say to the little girls who want to go there? I mean, but there wasn't just, a strike in that location. The strike is in Los Angeles. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you, let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. The biggest story in sports right now is Shohei Otani having the best season in the history of baseball ever, ever, ever. I'm sure there are people flying into Los Angeles, mm -hmm. staying in hotels to go watch the greatest baseball season of all time. Should Shohei Otani be pulled out of the lineup? Uh, of course not. Okay, so then what, I mean, but that's, what so why aren't they going after Shohei Otani right. if they're going after well, Taylor Swift? I don't know why they're not doing that, but I will tell you this, that this will put some pressure on Taylor Swift and her people to do something. I don't think she's going to cancel the concert. Maybe she makes a contribution to a fund to support those workers or to support that strike. But she's got six days of concerts. And have you looked at the economic numbers? Oh, I and have, the yeah. bone in yeah. Los Angeles and California as a whole. So yeah. uh, that's a good way to resolve it. I don't know whether they will or not. All right, Johanna Mosca, we'll see you back here. Uh, on the East Coast next week. Safe travels. Enjoy the next sun out week. there. Appreciate See it. See you soon. Yep. All right. Thank you. <laughs> well, coming up, one man, lots of power from Earth and space. The influence of Elon Musk, uh, uh, Elon Musk unmatched. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I should have just said Elon. You don't even need to say his last name. Right. Um, X on the mask. Yeah, too. there you go. Uh, but the tech billionaire is now running into new problems with X. We'll explain. And his influence on space coming up. Tonight on News Nation, from UFOs and space tourism to his latest endeavor, Space Crystals, the legendary Star Trek actor William Shatner weighs in on life beyond our planet and how he wants to send your DNA to the moon. That's tonight on Elizabeth Vargas Reports. Calm. We need some help. I know. I'm going to CashNetUSA.com. And if approved, we can have the money in our account as soon as the same business day. Go to CashNetUSA.com to apply for the money you need. I had eight UTIs in one year. This inspired me and my partner Spencer to launch Eucora. Eucora makes effective urinary tract health products. It truly works miracles. The peace of mind I've been looking for. Go to Eucora.com to learn more. My most important kitchen tool my brain. So I choose Nareva Plus. Unlike some others, Nareva Plus is a multitasker supporting six key indicators of brain health to help keep me sharp. Nareva, think bigger. Who right now? Why? Why is it important we know the truth? Leland, that is an excellent question. That's a good question. Great question. We want people to think one of three things when they watch the show. I didn't know that. I hadn't thought of that. Or that's exactly what I was thinking. Welcome back here to The Hill. Elon Musk's social media takeover hitting just a little bit of a snag. The centerpiece of the name change from Twitter to X was supposed to be a logo on the roof of San Francisco's headquarters, but now that logo has been removed. A notice of violation issued by the San Francisco Department of Building Inspection saying, quote, it received 24 complaints about the unpermitted structure, including concerns about its 
structural safety and illumination. One of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time can't figure out how to get the X logo on his own building. You think, Bill, they need to be worried about something else. Yeah, I mean, it's the 24 complaints about an X that's lit on top of a building versus probably all of the criminal complaints and that cries for help to the police that have gone unanswered in San Francisco. I mean, this is a publicity thing. Yeah, but this is the name. It's just, it's... You know, Elon Musk doing this. Um, One of the greatest the marketers of our... Of, greatest marketers. Yeah. He got his publicity. But I think the people in San Francisco are asking their city officials to do more to make that city great again. This is the NIMBY crowd, not in my backyard. <laughs> and these are community activists. And so they gang, they, they pull together and they file with the regulators. And this is really a legal issue in the sense that his lawyers, whoever put this structure up, in-house counsel or outside counsel didn't do their homework on the regulatory piece to this and how you could put this up and does it meet regs or oversight and what have you. And these neighbors who are very community-minded, they know them backwards and forwards. We have some yeah. on, in War Three in D.C. and every <laughs> ward in Washington, D.C. He, he is the greatest entrepreneur. I love you, D.C., but i got to tell you, you got some community activists. <laughs> he, he, he is the greatest entrepreneur of our time, mm-hmm. full stop. Um, Tesla, Tesla, of course. Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. And then there's SpaceX. And there's Elon Musk. Even though he has a little bit of troubles with stuff down here on land, uh, he controls space right now in one form or another with SpaceX. If we can uh, put that graphic up on the, str- on the screen, Starlink satellites. It's fascinating when you think about it. 10,300 satellites right now orbiting Earth. 80% are active. That is 53% of the active satellites in space right now, controlled by Elon Musk's companies. Uh, I think both of you think this is a really big deal. Yeah, when you, you want to talk about uh, an X on a building or X formerly you know, known as Twitter, that, that's one thing. But when it has serious foreign policy implications when Ukraine uses Starlink and they can't get access to the satellites. There was a situation that arose in 2022 where at one point, because they couldn't pay their bills more or less, that they were unable to access those. And that's why you now have the New York Times reporting that the Pentagon is trying to pay for these, basically, to get a contract for these so that Ukraine doesn't have this situation ever again. Yeah, fascinating reporting in the New York Times, basically Mark Milley talking about Elon Musk in a meeting with a top member from Ukraine. You you were, you wonder whether or not he's got to like register as a government contractor or not. Well, no, we figured out that, he, that, that um, he's a government contractor. I, I think the issue, though, is, look, nobody has as many satellites in low Earth orbit as, as Elon Musk's SpaceX. Right. And so much of our national security in relation to how we deal with a rising China and other belligerent actors is going to end up in space as much it is, as it is in the atmosphere and on, and on, the, on planet Earth. Right. And we have to have the capability to communicate and combat our enemies and not be at the whim of one guy. Look, even when you're a defense contractor and you have to follow certain rules, I mean, if Elon Musk wanted to turn the whole thing off because he got upset, right. he occasionally plays footsie with China uh, because he's got a lot of divergent business interests. And these are the sorts of um, tools that we need at our disposal because the other guys aren't going to play fair. Right. It's always the same risk whenever you have a federal contract. But the government, DOD and Space and, and NASA, have a, uh, can he, he, he keep a tight rein on him? I don't know how tight that rein how, is. How though. tight you can keep a rein on yeah. Elon Musk. Uh, mm-hmm. But he isn't the only person looking to boldly go where no one has gone before. Star Trek star and sci-fi icon William Shatner wants to send your DNA, if you'd like, to the moon. 
Let's bring in Elizabeth Vargas. She'll be speaking with Shatner on her own show in just moments. Elizabeth, I heard you were having William Shatner on, and I got jealous. Tell us what you're talking about. I know. I know. If I could just tell you, I am so excited for this interview. I I grew up watching Star Trek. I know half the lines from the show by heart. Um, And, you know, he was the oldest man to go into space, Uh, not even, just, just last fall. On Blue Origin, um, we're going to talk to him all about his new venture, which is this thing where you can send your DNA up to the moon um, to where, where it will be immortalized forever in space. But we're also going to talk to him. He's got a lot of thoughts. He was part of a documentary that just came out um, uh, examining a lot of these UFO incidents. So he's got a lot of strong opinions on the recent hearings in Congress just last week. Uh, where we had, you know, the whistleblower, David Grush, as well as two former military pilots talking about um, their very now infamous encounters with flying objects that they are convinced uh, were not of this earth. So we're going to get William Shatner's take on all of that UFO, space exploration, life beyond space and DNA crystals if you want to be immortalized <laughs> on the moon. So, it is fascinating yeah. where we are you, in you, We can beam you up, are. Blake, from Washington, D.C., should you like to join in on the interview. All right, all right. I might t- he's got my, his uh, TV character, Denny Crane, one of my favorite characters of all time. Yeah. I'm not a big big TV buff on like the that side of things, but William Shatner, when I was like, Denny Crane's going to be on News Nation. Pretty cool. Denny Crane, it's, um, it's right. Captain Kirk, Blake. It's Captain <laughs> yeah. Kirk. I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into me in movies. It's like a thing. We'll talk about that another day. <laughs> it was a but TV excited show. For your in- <laughs> Come on. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks, Before I get myself in trouble, have a good one. <laughs> All right. Well, you can watch our interview with the legendary actor William Shatner live here at 6 o'clock Eastern, uh, seven and a half minutes right here on News Nation. Well, coming up. The stories that caught our eye before we go, including Uber. We'll talk about it. Stay with us. And and be sure, before we go, to follow us on social media. You can find our exclusive content from our correspondents, show clips, and behind-the-scenes moments right here on News Nation. All right, welcome back. Before we say goodbye, here's a few other headlines that caught our eye. David? The Pac-12 is imploding. And look, I'm a Los Angeles native. I went to all of the UCLA home games, uh, basketball and football growing up. I'm a West Coast sports nut. And the major collegiate league on the West Coast of all of the best schools is completely breaking apart. Obviously, USC and UCLA bolted for the Big Ten uh, Mm -hmm. about a year ago. At least I'll be able to go see them play. Mm -hmm. But when you see this league unravel, which is such a storied history, and, and just giving the West Coast... A, a league of its own. It's a real big development in the world of college sports. Come, come on over to the Big Ten, uh, Francesca. <laughs> I'm sorry to get all serious on you guys, but I've been I've been watching this coup in Niger. The Biden administration has been struggling with how to respond to it. This is a country that Secretary of State Tony Blinken went to in March and held up as an example of democracy in Africa. And now there's this coup taking place. The Biden administration trying to determine whether or not to pull out U.S. diplomats and whether or not not to cut off USAID. Bill? I think you have to go with Shark Week, even though it's not <laughs> Shark Week. I mean, looking at the videos of the sharks in cl- such close proximity to the shores, yeah. it really is putting a different spin on what it means to get a beach house or to try and visit the beach to mm. cool off during the summer because it's added an element of danger that I don't think most families want. Don't go in the water. Washington <laughs> Commanders. Okay. They just sold. 
Uh, they're yeah. new owners. Uh, Magic Johnson is part of that group, and he's a real ambassador, not just for basketball, for, but for sports. We're going to see not so much whether they win or lose, but how they're received by the fans and what a difference it'll make in their work culture. Here's mine. Uber. We all <laughs> like have probably used it for the first time mm-hmm. ever. They turned a quarterly profit when it comes to opera. You, you, see, you didn't know that. For the first time ever, <laughs> they turned a quarterly profit, Uber, since 2016, making money, $30 billion in losses up until then. Wow. Well, that'll do it here for the Hill on News Nation. Thank you all. <laughs> we'll be back here tomorrow at 5 o'clock Eastern. Elizabeth starts right now. Tonight, News Nation's groundbreaking coverage of UFOs, Space and Beyond will be captained by none other than William Shatner. He's the beloved Star Trek legend, actor, and businessman who also has...